The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Alright, what's going on everybody? Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode number 55 of the podcast or you're watching on YouTube. I'm live on YouTube right now, so if you want to get down with the live unedited version of MMA on the Rocks, get over to YouTube, subscribe there, leave all the episodes up there as well as all my cocktail recipes that I've been working on lately. I got a new one coming for you guys. Pretty soon, it's a tequila recipe I promised a while ago, and um, hadn't gotten around to posting it. There's just been so much going on in the MMA world. And today's Monday, June 26th, day later than I normally post the podcast. And unfortunately, I'm without my co-host, Jeff DeAnimal Wilson. Jeff missed half of last week because he was out uh, partying too much. Uh, don't worry. Jeff's doing just fine. He's got some family in town, so he wasn't able to make it on the podcast. I know he's bummed about it. I'm bummed about it because I know he had some really fun opinions to share with you guys. But uh, we'll get Jeff the Animal Wilson back on the podcast sooner than you can bat an eye. And uh, if you want to get a hold of him and, and yell at him for missing the show, it's at Animal underscore Wilson on Twitter, as always. Man, what a wild weekend of mixed martial arts we had between Bellator 180 in New York City and UFC Fight Night in Oklahoma City. I don't want to have like an existential crisis about it or anything, but as much action as there was, as far as rankings are concerned, none of these fights mattered all that much if you think about it in the grand scheme of things. But you know, we're not going to get too philosophical or depressing here on this show because it's about booze and fighting. Now, before I get into the fights, I got to tell you guys, I spent another weekend in Orlando. I'm sure most of you know by now, if you're a regular listener of the show, that I live in uh, right outside of Tampa, Florida. So about an hour and a half from Orlando. When I moved down here, I bought some tickets for Disney World, like a four set of tickets. I'm thinking, oh, you know, I live so close to Orlando, I'll probably go often enough. And I think they expire after six months or something. So, and I realized they're about to expire. So <laughs> for those of you who listen regularly, you know, I was there a couple of weekends ago, went back this weekend, finally used up those tickets, didn't let them expire. So I'm very proud of myself and uh, checked out Hollywood Studios this time. And last time you guys heard me talk about how I went to the Magic Kingdom and how it's a dry park, which is just, you know, sounds like torture to me. Why would you have an amusement park without alcohol? And I might sound like an addict saying something like that, but the way I see it, I just like to have a good time. So Hollywood Studios is not a dry park. And in fact, there are some pretty cool ways that you can get a hold of some alcohol and, and get feeling pretty nice. Now, of course, it's hot in Florida this time of year, so it was... Uh, you know, close to 98, 99 degrees while I was at the park. But, you know, Hollywood Studios isn't that big. And uh, went to one of the restaurants in there, just ordered straight uh, Maker's Mark. And, you know, the, it's pretty pricey, obviously, because it's Disney. But then they'll bump you up to a double for, like, a dollar twenty-five. So the bartender was like, hey, if you if you want a double Maker's Mark, it's only a dollar twenty-five more. So I was like, well... You know, that's a no-brainer, you know. <laughs> I, I could see why they wouldn't advertise that or something. So not too bad, you know, the price for a double of Makers. Uh, and when it's so hot out, you know, that's enough to get you uh, feeling pretty nice. But the other downside of Florida is when it gets really hot and gets really humid, rain is imminent. So they have this outdoor light show at Hollywood Studios, and it's in a back amphitheater area. And it's uncovered. And they kept delaying the show because they said some bad weather was coming. So finally get it started. About 15 minutes into it, the skies just open up and it started downpouring. 
Uh, those of you who follow me on Instagram at MMA on the Rocks, you might have seen my Instagram story where I showed I was just drenched because I'm sure you all know if you've been in an amphitheater, once people start exiting, there's really nowhere to go. Everybody kind of funnels. So it's just downpouring and everybody's trying to leave, but you know, you get a few hundred people going in the same direction. Obviously, the pace is not going to be too quick. So got showered on at Hollywood Studios, but you know, I had my a couple of those Maker's Mark uh, doubles in me, so I was feeling pretty good about it. So good time overall. And then, uh, you know, got back to the hotel I was staying at in Orlando, and I checked out the Bellator pay-per-view. Just streamed it right from the hotel there. So I pulled you guys on Twitter, and I asked, uh, you know, is anybody going to buy this thing? You know, do you think it does a million pay-per-view buys, which I knew was a stretch. And uh, overwhelmingly, the response was, no, it will not. I mean, despite the names on this card. I mean, if you had told somebody, a big MMA fan maybe eight years ago, that in the same weekend, Vanderlei Silva... Fedor Emelianenko and BJ Penn would all lose in the same weekend. You would have told me I was crazy, right? Three total legends of the sport. Uh, any one of these guys you can make an argument for as, you know, greatest of all time. I'm sure they're on a lot of people's lists, a lot of people's top fives. Uh, I would think that most people would have all three of these guys in their top five or top ten somewhere. But... You know they're all uh, they're all pushing forty now, and it's a, it's going to be a younger man's game. So even though their their opponents weren't that old either, but uh, you know three big losses this weekend. So overwhelmingly the response when I asked you guys uh, if this is going to do a million pay per view buys, you guys said no, and everybody said they're not buying it. Um, you know I respect the fact that. There's a lot of hardcore MMA fans who listen to the podcast. I like to think I do this show for both the casual fan. You know, a lot of people tell me that they, they'll they skip a card here and there and then they'll listen to the podcast to catch up. And, you know, but I realize a lot of you are hardcore fans and and a lot of you said, you know, this card is ridiculous and it, it did have some... Uh, some pretty obscure matchups, but it's a spectacle, and that's what Bellator is all about. So Bellator, first pay-per-view in a long time. I think it's the first one since uh, Scott Coker took over as president. And, you know, they're doing it on one of the biggest stages in the world, Madison Square Garden in New York City. Headlined by Chel Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva. This is a, a long-standing grudge match. These guys do not like each other at all, and they're not shy about it. And you guys all know, those of you who are very inside with MMA, you guys all know that Chael Sonnen has this kind of WWE character that he plays where he likes to build up fights. The guy's really a brilliant marketer. He's really one of the most brilliant minds uh, in the history of marketing MMA. I mean, he was doing the Conor McGregor thing before Conor McGregor w was even uh, you know, going through puberty, I think. And uh, I think a lot of people don't appreciate it enough, you know, what he does. And I understand a lot of the hardcore MMA fans are over it. You know, I hear a lot of people saying they're sick of his act and his, and his kind of shtick that he does. And, it, you know, the trash talk and the pocketed statements and everything like that. But really, what do you expect the guy to do now? He's kind of, he's kind of written this character for himself. He can't just show up one day and, and act normal again. So he's kind of, kind of... He's got to kind of ride this thing in, into the sunset until, you know, he's not able to fight anymore. This is his thing. That's what he's known for. I think this time it was a little bit harder for him to pull off. Usually he has fun with it, uh, but he really genuinely dislikes Vanderlei Silva. He even said as much that this was the first guy he's ever fought that he had a personal grudge against. Uh, Vanderlei uh, kind of attacked him when they were filming The Ultimate Fighter show in brazil a couple of years ago and they were supposed to fight after that but both of them got caught by usada they were actually the first two guys that were tested or that usada attempted to uh test uh when usada first came on with the ufc and there's a, a very interesting story behind that the way they went after them of course we know vanderlei silva ran away when they tried to test him and they 
they tried to like ban him for life or give him like a, a 30 year suspension or something ridiculous i'm exaggerating of course but they tried to give him a really strict suspension and you know that's when he quit the ufc and and he made the dramatic video that went viral for a little while and of course chel Sonnen tested positive and you know he he had, he served his two-year suspension and and then didn't re-sign with the UFC when he came back. So uh, these two felt like they needed to cross pads eventually, so they did. Unfortunately, you know, the wind was out of the sails because, you know, there was so much tension built up with this grudge match when they had the feud on the Ultimate Fighter. Obviously, because, you know, Chael said so many insulting things about Brazil and Brazilians when he's going through the thing with Anderson Silva, that whole feud. So... You know, Vanderlei is not one to, uh, you know, let things go. So he remembers that. And uh, and they and they hate each other. And Chael even pulled him aside and it was he was like, listen, you know, we got we to gotta build up the show here. I don't mind being the bad guy. And Vanderlei is just like, no, you, you talk about Brazil. I got to fuck you up. Uh, supposedly there was another incident where Vanderlei attacked Chael Sonnen in front of his wife, like on the street in Brazil. So, uh, yeah, these guys don't like each other. Uh, Chael beat the snot out of him in this fight. And Vanderlei had no answer for Chael's wrestling. And every time Vanderlei Silva fights, what gets brought up is he's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And, you know, they've been talking about this since his fights early in Pride. I, I understand that it's highly likely that he was given a black belt from someone in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but, I mean, let's be real, he's he's not really a threat to many people off of his back, uh, his takedown defense was uh, non-existent, I mean, granted, Ch- a lot of people forget, Chelsea is a very, very high-level wrestler, uh, he, he has a, a Greco-Roman background, and he's got a nasty double leg, and he's got ridiculous pressure on top and that's what he used to beat the crap out of Vanderlei Silva for three rounds now I was misled in this one because I I'm so used to main events being five rounds with the UFC I forgot that uh you know Bellator doesn't do that so the and it's kind of weird that this fight was the main event when you had other title fights on the card but you know I guess you just didn't have big enough names of champions and that's kind of a problem with bellator right now so a lot of criticism for wrestlers lately you know kobe covington last week and uh chelsana a lot of people criticizing these guys and saying that the wrestlers are boring because they just lay on top i counter that and i may be a little biased but my counterpoint to that would be the guys who are boring are the guys who can't wrestle so the guys who can't sprawl, can't stop a takedown, and then can't get back up once they get taken down. I mean, look look at a guy like Michael Bisping, for example. You know, say what you want about Michael Bisping. He has he doesn't have a wrestling background because they don't have wrestling in school in England. So, you know, he didn't grow up wrestling, but he he's an outstanding striker, and he wants to make sure he can use his striking skills. So he developed takedown defense. He developed a great sprawl, and he developed a system for getting back up if he gets taken down. So that makes him a little bit more exciting because he has stand-up skills, and he has the ability to stay standing up. So I say the boring guys are the ones who lay on the bottom and just kind of hold on and wait for the fight to get stood up. Because if you get in a fight in the street and a wrestler like Chael Sonnen takes you down, guess what? He's going to stay on top of you and he's going to elbow you in the face uh, no matter how long it takes until you're unconscious and he, you know, incapacitates you. So I understand how a lot of people think that the wrestling style can be boring. I get it. But, you know, it takes two to tango. So there's one guy holding a guy down, which is hard to do and there's another guy holding another guy on top of him which is not as hard to do uh and then Chael Sonnen also had some very very strange guard passing techniques where he was kind of he was kind of trying to 
step over the far leg of Vanderlei. I don't know if he was trying to roll him over to to his stomach or, or what he was trying to do, but it was very strange tactics. And uh, he wasn't really trying to go for the mount. Uh, a lot of times wrestlers don't like to go for the mount. They feel more comfortable from side control. I feel like side control is a more dominant position than mount because a high-level jiu-jitsu guy uh, is easier to hold down from side control than he is from the mount. Uh, they have a lot more means of escape and, and shrimping out uh, from the bottom. But uh, controlling a guy from side control, especially for a strong wrestler, is, is a little bit easier. They can kind of anchor themselves down. Or even from half guard, you can anchor yourself down and uh, you know do some significant ground and pound. So Sana beats the crap out of Vanderlei Silva. Uh, Silva hasn't fought in forever since the whole, you know, incident with USADA and, and all that nonsense. So, uh, you know, I don't think it does any, I don't think it damages Vanderlei's legacy at all. I mean, the guy's still a legend. I mean, he was, he looked ripped. He looked huge. Uh, he just couldn't pull a trigger. And I think it was because he was worried about the takedown and rightfully so. So after the fight, Tails given his pocketed statement about what he's going to do next. He called out Fedor, who just got annihilated in the fight right before him. So uh, I don't know if Chael was planning for that to happen when he wrote this statement calling out Fedor, but he said he wants to fight Fedor. Uh, fine. He also said, he also basically said he hates New York City, <laughs> which, I mean, you got to admire the balls on this guy because he, he talks shit about Brazil, and then he goes to Brazil and lives there for a month filming the ultimate fighter he talks shit about new york all the way leading up to going to new york and then in front of a crowd of new yorkers at madison square garden in the center of manhattan says that he absolutely hates new york uh so you know love him or hate him uh, the guy's got balls for sure and while he's in the middle of the stick vanderlei comes up behind him and, and pushes him so obviously there's still some bad blood on vanderlei's part uh chael I would assume doesn't give a shit about Vanderlei anymore. He's moving on to greener pastures and and uh, more feuds. And then in a post fight interview, he calls out Rory McDonald and he said that him and Rory McDonald have to fight. And he feels bad for calling out a smaller guy, uh, much smaller guy, because Rory McDonald fights at one seventy. Chael just fought at two hundred five. Uh, granted, they could both fight at one eighty five. Although I got a question: uh, how easy it'll be for Chael Sonnen to make that weight? anymore because you know he's almost 40 and and he's a big boy i think it was always a rough cut for him when he was cutting down to 185 and we just lost the feed on youtube so if you're watching on youtube i apologize but uh everybody who's just listening to the podcast you're still here with me so a little glitch there no big deal and uh let's let's go through the rest of this bellator card so I'll touch on the Matt Mitrione Fedor fight. Uh, went down, unfortunately for Fedor, I think the way a lot of people anticipated. But man, was that exciting! They they basically it was like the double knockdown. It was like the uh, it was like Rocky two when they both knock each other down and, and who who uh, gets up first. It was pretty it was pretty spectacular. It was really exciting at the time because you're like, what just happened? It was really close to being a double knockout, but then you realize after watching the replay a couple of times, Mitrione had kind of stumbled more than he was knocked down. So Mitrione was able to get up uh, a little quicker. You know, he's a little younger, a little bit more athletic than, uh, you know, a worn out Fedor, and he just jumped on him and put him to sleep with punches. Uh, it was it was really kind of tough to watch, and then, you know, Fedor couldn't get back up, so... You know, Bellator goes through all this trouble to sign Fedor, who did not look great in his last fight, which was in Russia, where he basically got knocked out in the first round, and the officials didn't stop the fight. This was against uh, Maldonado, Fabio Maldonado. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, he just doesn't have that incredible great emperor chin anymore. That just happens with time and inactivity and you know whatever else you want to chalk it up to and the other thing about it too is matt mitrione was not 
a big follower of MMA because he was he was trying to play pro football. He played for the New York Giants for a little bit. I think he was on the practice team or maybe even uh, maybe even made the team for real. I, I don't remember what his story was there. Uh, I don't follow football that deeply. But uh, he didn't idolize Fedor, and he didn't have in his head, you know, that this was this some invincible guy, even though, you know, that kind of shroud of mystery had been lifted a couple of years ago, uh, you know, when Fabrizio Verdum beat him, and then Dan Henderson knocked him out, uh, and then the Fabio Maldonado fight was just a shit show, a disaster for him. So I don't know what you do. With Fedor, I don't think you give him the Chael Sonnen. Uh, you got to give him like an older heavyweight that'll stand and trade with him. Uh, you know, they maybe like a Czech Congo that would be like a decent fight for him. Uh, you know, Bellator just just signed uh, Roy Nelson. I think that would be a bad fight for Fedor. But Roy Nelson, Matt Mitrione. That would be great. Uh, that would be a rematch. So that would be a fun one. Uh, I, I'll keep going down this card because I, I want to get to the UFC fight night too. And uh, so there was a fight that was supposed to be very one-sided and uh, it, it didn't work out that way for Bellator. So one of their marquee guys who, are, who should be one of their marquee guys, Michael Chandler, my opinion, uh, you know, one of the top pound pound fighters in the world, very underrated skills. He's their lightweight champion, uh, taking on a guy uh, in Brent Primus who was undefeated coming into this fight. And I think Primus was the biggest underdog on the card. Michael Chandler was supposed to just steamroll this guy. Uh, Brent Primus got working on the leg kicks early, and... At some point, Primus claims it was from the low leg kicks. Uh, Chandler claims that he kind of stumbled and he, he got a leg cramp, but it looked like Michael Chandler broke his ankle in the fight, and he was still, like, every time he put weight on it, he was, like, collapsing, basically. But he was still hobbling around the cage. He's yelling at Brent Primus to kick him in his leg. He's like, kick me in the leg again. Uh, just, like, really tough guy. I don't know if he was, like, trying to get in his head. And and it almost worked. Like Brett Brett, uh, Primus came charging in, and Chandler caught him and almost dropped him with a big right hand. And uh, (laughs) but eventually the referee saw Michael Chandler couldn't stand on his leg. He called timeout. Referee Todd Anderson called timeout, which is kind of a strange move. Uh, Definitely not the worst refereeing move of the weekend. We'll get to that a little bit later. But called timeout and. You know, the doctor came in and saw his leg was broken, and they were like, obviously we can't let you continue fighting because you have a broken leg. And Michael Chandler was livid. Uh, he said he didn't even listen to what Brett Primus, uh, Brent Primus said in his post-fight. Uh, obviously there's going to be a rematch here uh, because, you know, there's there's not a very deep lightweight division right now in Bellator, and... I think they were really hoping that Michael Chandler would be one of their stars, rightfully so. I mean, his his last fight with Benson Henderson was incredible. If you missed that one, that was that was one of the best fights of of last year. So go go back and check that out if you want to see how tough Michael Chandler is. Go go see, you know, how he was able to uh, get through Benson Henderson. That was really an awesome fight. And let's see. Uh, Former UFC fighter Lorenz Larkin, who was just cut uh, for who knows what reason. I mean, he was on a pretty impressive uh, win streak. He just had a big uh, win over Neil Magny. So he gets cut from UFC, comes over to Bellator, immediate title shot against Douglas Lima, and loses unanimous decision. Uh, A title that changed hands on the... On the undercard was Ryan Bader and Phil Davis. So this was a rematch of a really, well, a lot of people would say it was one of the most boring late heavyweight fights of all time. But, you know, there definitely wasn't a lot of action. I think, you know, you have two guys who have very similar style. They have really strong wrestling base. So when you have two wrestlers, that usually kind of cancels, kind of cancels out. Um, 
Bader had a little bit better wrestling on Saturday, and I think that's what helped him edge out a decision. But this was uh, five rounds of, of not a lot happening. So uh, I could have seen a decision going either way, to be honest, but um, I wouldn't have been disappointed either way. I, I didn't really care by the end of it, and that's a problem because I'm really into this sport, as you guys know. I, you know, and do a podcast about it and everything. So I spend a lot of time watching MMA and talking about MMA. And uh, if I don't care by the end of it, then the casual fans not going to care by the end of it. They're gonna they're gonna be checked out. They're gonna be bored. And this was the main event of the undercard. So this was free on Spike TV. This is what you're using to draw people in and get them to buy the pay per view. So if you have a really exciting fight as the main event, people would say, "All right, I'm in. I gotta see more of this Bellator stuff. You know, let me see what it's all about." So I kind of thought it was a mistake putting that as the main event of the undercard because after that fight, people were like, "All right, well, if this is what it's gonna be like, I guess I don't need to buy this pay per view." So you kind of lose those people who are on the fence, and that's unfortunate because. You guys know I want to see Bellator succeed. You know I don't. I don't want to see the UFC kind of having a monopoly over mixed martial arts. I believe that uh, competition is healthy, and I believe that it's necessary. And you know, if you're not drawing people in, then it doesn't matter if you're signing all this great talent. You know, you got to get people to watch also. So there are some other great fights uh, on this card too. James Gallagher with the up- upset, I believe. It was an upset over Chinzo Machida, who of course is Leota Machida's brother, uh, who's like a more explosive and aggressive version of Leota Machida. He got choked out in the first round. And I think that was a surprise to a lot of people because he's kind of been on a tear lately. And then uh, Zach Freeman spoiling the debut of Aaron Pico. So Aaron Pico uh, had a lot of hype behind him making his debut. And people are saying, oh, he's going to be world champion and and all this stuff. I, I guess he was he was a longtime boxer. So he's a boxer coming over to MMA. He got choked out in 24 seconds by Zach Freeman. So, I mean, I guess he's not going to be a champion like this year. But, you know, people who are on the Aaron Pico bandwagon are still saying, like, he's going to bounce back. He's going to learn from this. He's such a top prospect that uh, this won't hold him back. So, whatever. I mean, uh, I hope they're right. Yeah, I don't I don't have any ill wishes against the kid. So, I, I hope he does bounce back from it. But, you know, getting choked out in 24 seconds at Madison Square Garden is not a good look. So, uh, there was some other craziness on that card, and you know we could talk about it. If you want to hear my thoughts on anything else on that card, of course, you know reach out to me on social media. You guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the Rocks everywhere on social media: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, or you go to MMAontherocks.com. You guys can send me a message that way too. It'll send me an email directly. Uh, to uh, MMA on the rocks at gmail.com. I really like hearing from you guys because I hate, you know, I, I hear from people and they're like, oh, I've been listening to the show for months and, you know, it's the first time I'm hearing from you. Uh, so if you're listening to the show, contact me because I want to know how I can make it better, make it more enjoyable for you guys. If you want me to do something different or if you have something that you really like or, you know, just commentary, I'm might take your advice i very likely will not because i have a tremendous ego and that's why i have a podcast kidding of course this is kind of tough to do without uh without uh bouncing ideas off uh jeff the animal wilson without my partner today so you know sorry for anybody who who's just sick of hearing my voice and is a, a fan of the animal i'm sure there's a lot of you out there uh, he's in he's in high demand. Uh, hopefully, hopefully he's not in negotiations with uh, with another podcast because then I'd have to 
I don't know, actually pay him or something to be on the show. In any case, UFC, let's get to it. So uh, spend enough time talking about Bellator. Overall, you know, very entertaining card. I don't know what any of it means in the long run. Like I said, if you want to have an existential crisis about it and, and analyze the ratings and, and think about, like, well, what does this do for MMA, you're probably a much more miserable person than I am because I just watched it and I enjoyed it and I moved on. And we're going to move on to UFC Fight Night 112 from Oklahoma City. It was headlined by Kevin Lee and Michael Chiesa. And there was a lot of drama going into this fight because Kevin Lee mentioned Michael Chiesa's mother in a press conference at the summer kickoff press conference. And Michael Chiesa charged across the room, tried to attack Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee punched him in the face. It was a whole big thing. If you follow MMA, I'm sure you saw all of this. And then if you watched the event, I'm sure you saw the 300 clips that they showed of this press conference. Uh, which, it, you know, it's kind of funny because uh, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about how Christian Cyborg punched another fighter at a retreat and the UFC called the cops on her and we're trying to convince Angela Magana to press charges. Kevin Lee punches Michael Chiesa at a press conference and they're using it to build a fight and they're showing the clip over and over again. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, make up your mind. What what are your morals here? What kind of message are you trying to send? Uh, because it can be a very convoluted message when you do things this way, especially when you treat females one way and you treat males another way. Uh, can't do that, UFC. I mean, who am I to say so? But uh, it seems pretty cut and dry to me. But, you know, what do I know? I'm just a guy who likes to drink and talk about fighting. So we won't get too political, but, you know, just food for thought. So a, a lot of drama going into this one. Michael Chiesa said that he wasn't going to let Kevin Lee get in, his fate, get, in, uh, get in his head. And, you know, he lost his cool because Kevin Lee mentioned his mother. That's a soft spot for him. Uh, those of you who remember Michael Chiesa when he won, the ultimate fighter his father passed away while he was on the show and you know his father was very protective of his mother so he is very protective of his mother so once kevin lee said the m word michael chiesa lost it so you can kind of understand where he's coming from uh in that regard uh, there's certain things you shouldn't do you know the fight is between you and the other guy you shouldn't bring people's family into it but the the argument on the opposite side is that kevin lee was just saying like uh, you know i hope i hope the best michael chiesa shows up because i know your mom has tickets and she's gonna be there so you know you can make an argument for either guy and it's not my place to tell you which argument is right I'll just put them both out there, and you decide for yourselves uh, who's right in the situation. Unfortunately, that's not where the controversy ended between these two because they had their fight. It was pretty back and forth, pretty exciting. Um, Michael Chiesa was a little more aggressive with the stand-up, I think, than uh, than people anticipated because you know he's mostly known for being a ground fighter. Uh, rear naked choke guy uh, he even came out to stranglehold by Ted Nugent which uh, which was you know cool song to come out to and uh, Kevin Lee was very fired up when he came out he was he was bouncing around when the official was trying to put the Vaseline on his face and stuff and uh, the guy didn't want to tell him to calm down so he's just trying to put the Vaseline on his face as, as Kevin Lee's jumping up and down and, and getting all excited and you know, possibly burn a, a lot of energy. He had, he had potentially a five-round fight ahead of him. So here's what happened. Uh, it was it was back-and-forth uh, exchange on the ground. Michael Chiesa started on top. Uh, Kevin Lee wound up getting his back and was beating up Michael Chiesa. And they were up against the cage. Kevin Lee had his back against the cage. He was punching Michael Chiesa in the face. He landed two big elbows, which... 
you could argue were illegal elbows because you're not supposed to go from 12 to 6. So if you're looking at a clock and your elbow's at 12 o'clock, I'm demonstrating this for people who are watching on YouTube, your elbow's at 12 o'clock and you bring it straight down to 6 o'clock on top of somebody's head, that's an illegal strike. And that's what he did to Michael Chiesa. He cut him pretty bad. He hurt him pretty bad with that. That's how John Jones has his only loss because he did that to Matt Hamill and knocked him out with it. Or Matt Hamill was not able to continue, so John Jones was disqualified. So two big elbows that you could argue were illegal. I won't say whether they were or not because, again, I'm not the guy to tell you what's right and wrong. I'm just the guy who's going to give you the information and you make that decision for yourself. After that, Kevin Lee sunk in a rear naked choke. Michael Chiesa defended it. And Kevin Lee switched from a traditional rear naked choke grip, which is like this for those watching on YouTube. And he switched to a gable grip. So he grabbed his own hand. And what you do is... You put your elbow into the guy's shoulder blade, basically, and use it. Use your arm as leverage to finish the choke. So Michael Chiesa started defending the second rear naked choke, and then he kind of stopped and flailed his hands around his neck. He did not technically tap out, and referee Mario Yamasaki stopped the fight, and Chiesa jumped up immediately. Uh, you could tell he was not very close to passing out. I mean, Kevin Lee had just locked this choke up. Granted, the choke was very deep. It was very tight. And Chiesa did not seem to be defending it properly. But he did not tap out. So, rough call for Mario Yamasaki. And uh, it's unfortunate for everybody. It's most unfortunate for Michael Chiesa because he gets a loss and loses a ton of momentum uh, that he had. You know, he he had built up a lot of momentum. He had some big wins over some big names. You know, he choked out Ally Aquinta, uh, if people remember that. I mean, it seems like ages ago. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he could have made a case to, to get a fight with Tony Ferguson if he had won this fight. And I believe that's why they had Tony Ferguson uh, in the broadcast booth uh, for Fight Talk or whatever the post-fight show is. So, and it's also unfortunate for Kevin Lee because, you know, people who watch the fight and remember what Mario Yamazaki did, they're in their minds, they're going to have an asterisk next to this win. And I'm sure that's not what he wanted. And, you know, you could argue, you could argue both ways. Yeah, he was about to go out, but, uh, man, the way I see it, you got to let the guy either tap out or you got to let him you know, make the decision to pass out. It, it's not a situation, you know, if you get choked like that, you go unconscious for a couple of seconds and then wake back up. Uh, I know that sounds really barbaric, but, you know, for high-level jiu-jitsu practitioners, they've been choked out unconscious at some point. You know, it just happens. It's just one of those things. And if you've trained a lot of jiu-jitsu, you've seen somebody get choked unconscious or you've been choked unconscious yourself you've got to let the fighter make the decision in this case if he's getting punched in the face or he's getting arm barred and you see his arm break and he's still not tapping uh you know that's that's kind of different but with a choke you kind of got to let it go uh you kind of almost have to feel bad for mario yamasaki a little bit i mean maybe you don't but you know people are out for this guy's head. I mean, Dana White was ripping him apart, comparing him to Steve Mazzagatti. Uh, Chiesa, obviously, is is unhappy with him. And then a lot of fighters ripping this guy on Twitter. Uh, if I'm Mario Yamasagi, I'm not showing my face for a while. Uh, you know, I might go find a nice, uh, quiet, deserted island somewhere to hang out. And it's really unfortunate because here's a guy who's, one of the most experienced referees in the game and he's been having a lot of questionable decisions lately and he's a black belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu so i'm sure he's been unconscious before from a rear naked choke uh he 
he's familiar with that position, so he's just not some bonehead in there. Like he knows what's going on. And yeah, made the wrong call. Uh, I I don't know what else to say about it. I, I don't know if Michael Chiesa will be able to appeal this. And even if he is, we know how those go. Uh, appeals don't go over well with any athletic commission. And, uh, you know, the athletic commission in Texas is a hot mess as it is. So he's kind of screwed. Kevin Lee is saying he wants to fight again on the uh, Detroit card in Michigan in December. Of course, Detroit's in Michigan. Uh, I assume a lot of you know that, and I didn't need to make that distinction. What I meant to say was the Detroit card in December. And he wants to fight Khabib, called him out. Uh, interesting fight. Uh, I You would think that would be a big step up for Kevin Lee, but a lot of people thought Michael Chiesa would be a big step up for Kevin Lee. And despite the controversy, Kevin Lee was controlling that fight. He was, he was very dominant uh, towards the end of the round. And, you know, you could argue that Michael Chiesa wasn't going to get out of that choke in the last uh you know, 30-some-odd seconds that were left or 20-something seconds that were left. Uh, so, interesting. And he said if Khabib's not available, then he wants a rematch with Michael Chiesa. And, you know, that's like five and a half months from now. So, even if Michael Chiesa gets that rematch, he's got to live with this for five and a half months and, and prepare to get back in there with this guy who's obviously going to be talking a lot of trash. Kevin Lee's been around a long time. He's got a lot of wins in the UFC. And... I feel like he's just starting to put together his uh, his persona. He's getting a little bit of microphone time, and you know he wants to play a little bit of the bad guy, and it's starting to work for him. And I think once he got a taste of it, he likes it, and he's running with it. And you know, good for him. He's you know those angles are always what makes the biggest stars. You know, when guys put themselves in a position to be loved or hated, and uh, I, I think more so the latter in his case because you know michael kies is such like a good guy uh you know very he's always been polite respectful etc and then all of a sudden this guy starts talking about his mother uh you know it worked for him so good for kevin lee but you know bad for how this fight ended and i, I pulled you guys on I, i'm loving the twitter polls lately so uh, please keep participating in them because it gives me some insight. I asked if you guys thought the any of this fight ruined the entire car, and a lot of you said yes. And, you know, going through Twitter right after this card ended, it was like uh, getting punched in the gut. You know, everybody just had the winds knocked out of them. And I think a lot of people were really bummed out about it, and they were saying, you know, the whole card sucked. Well, let me... Uh, let me try and convince you otherwise, because I think that this is still a pretty solid card. And I'll start with the co-main event. Now, the problem with this fight, before it even started, was Johnny Hendricks missing weight. And, god damn, if we haven't said this so many times on this show, Johnny Hendricks missing weight, Johnny Hendricks missing weight. The way I broke it down, uh, the last time he, he missed weight at 170 before he moved up to 185... The guy had missed weight enough times to make an entire paycheck. So if you don't know when you miss weight, you lose 20% of your purse or your your fight pay. So whatever you were going to get paid, 20% of that goes to your opponent. He had done that so many times that it had added up to an entire paycheck. So he moved up a weight class, made weight there, looked decent against Hector Lombard. I wouldn't say he looked like a war world beater, but you know, he looked okay. And then he comes back and he says, Oh, my weight is great. And he's, he said he was weighing like 198 the week of the fight, which is, you know, pretty big. And it's not like he put on extra muscle to fight at 185. He's, he's walking around with, with extra weight on him. He's walking around a little chubby. Misses weight by three pounds. Oh, a, a weight class above the weight class where he was a world champion. World champion at 170 pounds. Now he can't make 185 pounds. Four-time All-American wrestler. I, I mean, it's. I hate to harp on this stuff. You guys know how much I can't stand when guys miss weight because it's just so unprofessional to me. It, 
it tells me you just don't care. And it's even worse when it's a wrestler because wrestlers are used to cutting weight. They've been doing it for years and years before they get into MMA. There are guys who, who get into MMA and they come from boxing or kickboxing or, or, or karate or whatever else and they never cut weight before. And those guys are making weight and those girls are making weight. You know, you had females on this card who, who had to, uh, you know, cut all the way down to 115 pounds and then they empty their bowels in the, in the octagon because I don't know, nerves and, and weight cutting and, uh, and everything else that you do to your body. But, uh, we'll get to that in a second. So he gets in there, uh, didn't look terrible with Tim Boast. Uh, Tim Boast, a lot of footwork, a lot of moving around, looked like the faster guy, which he shouldn't because you have one guy who's moving up a weight class and you have Tim Boast who has fought at 205, clearly the bigger fighter, and he's faster than Johnny Hendricks because Johnny Hendricks is, is, you know, pulling a bunch of barbecue around the cage. I mean, the guy just has a total lack of discipline. I hate to keep harping on it, but... You know, if the guy's fighting because he has to provide for his family or something like that, and he really doesn't want to be in there, then why wouldn't he provide that extra 20% to his family? Like, if you're doing this because you have to and not because you want to, and he, you know, he was saying how he found a passion for this again and, and was going on about, you know, he's reinvigorated because he moved up a weight class. Is like, all right, well, make the weight at that weight class. I'll move on because I know, I I know I could get on a tangent on this and and uh, you know Jeff's not here to stop me so <laughs> I'll move on for the sake of everybody listening. But uh, Tim Bosch, you know, looked great and then landed a big head kick on Johnny Hendricks in the second round and uh, it was over from there. You know, he he put him out and uh, I don't know I don't know what happens with Johnny Hendricks from here. Uh, I. I would say cut him and let him go fight at 205 in Bellator. Uh, you know, they'll sign him real quick. There's some interesting fights for him there. Uh, you know, Rory McDonald looking to fight at 185. So, uh, you know, there's that. Uh, you know, maybe he could fight Chell Sonnen. You got, uh, you got two really high-level wrestlers. That would be interesting. But, uh, you know, I feel like it, I think this is the sixth time he's missed weight in the UFC and it's just it's just so unprofessional like how, how many times does somebody come in late for work before you fire them you know you do this at any other job this is part of the job you got to make weight and I promise I would move on and I will so great win for Tim Bosch although I don't really know what it does for him to knock out a guy who doesn't even technically belong in that weight class but you know Tim Bosch staying alive after uh you know, a quick submission loss to Jacare in his last fight. Uh, he's one of these guys that, you know, he'll be there. Like he's always, he's always kind of there. You know, he's always hot and cold. You know, one of the, one of the all-time great uh, journeymen, you could say. I, I think that's that's fair to say. And uh, you know, he'll he'll be back soon. And he's he always puts out a good fight. Doesn't talk shit and. You know, he had the opportunity to really put Johnny Hendricks down. He called him unprofessional, but, you know, that's fair. All right. So we got kind of a shitty situation in the fight just before that. This, uh, man, this has to be a first at this level. I know it's happened before uh, in in smaller professional fights. So Felice Herring uh, coming back from... uh, you know, she's she's been out for a little while. I feel like she hasn't fought in a while. Fighting the undefeated Justine Kish. And uh, Felice Herring, known as uh, usually more of a striker, but her grappling was the story of this fight. She really outgrappled the shit out of Justine Kish and literally grappled the shit out of Justine Kish. So uh, in one of the transitions, Justine Kish was getting swept and she... Emptied her bowel. She shit herself in the octagon. And it, <laughs> they 
I saw people talking about this, and I didn't notice it when it happened. But then you see like the slowed down gifs that people post on Twitter and everything, and they point it out, and I was like, still almost a little bit in disbelief. I sent it to Jeff, and he was like, "Bill, this looks photoshopped." And uh, but then I looked at Justine's Twitter, and she uh, she tweeted, "I'm a warrior, and I'll be back better than ever." Hashtag shit happens. So you know she owned it, and. Uh, I, I love that she just came out and owned it. That's that's so badass that she did that. So Felice Herrig can, from now on, say that she beat the shit out of somebody. And uh, <laughs> looked <laughs> she looked great doing it. I mean, she had a rear naked choke locked up at one point. It was just as tight as the rear naked choke that Kevin Lee had on Michael Chiesa. And Justine Kiss showed a lot of athleticism and a lot of strength in the way that she escaped submission attempts. There was not a whole lot of technique to the way she was escaping, but she was able to do it. And, you know, if you if you got to let something loose to get out of a bad situation, then that's what you got to do, you know. It, you can't uh, you can't fault a girl for using everything at her disposal. So, uh, great win for Felice Herrick. She said that she doesn't want to call anybody out because what she does, uh, the UFC doesn't give her what she wants. I have a feeling what she wants is a rematch with Paige Van Zandt, and I wouldn't mind seeing that. Um, you know, solid performance for sure, taking out another undefeated fighter. So, congratulations to Felice Herrick on that one. UFC debut of Dominic Reyes against Joaquin Christensen. This fight was fucking crazy. Uh, you know, so Christensen, a striker. Reyes, a striker. He came in with a lot of hype behind him. Uh, he was a favorite. And he knocked Christensen back into the cage and then came running at him. I, I compared it to like the way somebody throws a javelin. You know how they just run and they get all this momentum and then they release it. He came. He took steps running at him and blasted him in the face with a right hand and just put him down. And there was just blood gushing out of his nose. 29 second knockout, which they said was the second fastest knockout for a light heavyweight debut fighter. Uh... So awesome win, awesome debut for Dominic Reyes. Really impressive performance. He looked great. He looked super explosive. And let's face it, the light heavyweight division needs it right now because outside of the top three, it's pretty thin. You know, you got obviously John Jones, Cormier, Alexander Gustafson. Those three will probably, you know, fight each other a couple of times each depending how uh, the Jones-Cormier fight goes. You, you know, you can make that combination a couple of times but you're really hurting for prospects in this division uh now it's kind of tough because they can't really ease this guy in uh you know you got your top dogs in the division and then you got really you know nobody else you got jimmy manoa but you know he's tied up with a fight against uh ozdemir uh and, and outside of that i don't know who you even match this guy up with so, I don't know. Let me know. Tweet me. Let me know who you think you want to see Dominic Reyes fight. But uh, definitely be interesting to see him in there again. And uh, Tim Means edging out a decision over Alex Garcia. Just wore him out with body shots. Uh, you know, use his footwork, use his range to uh, keep Garcia away, keep those big power shots away, and keep that, uh, that power double leg takedown away. And uh, did enough to get the decision. And Mario Yamasaki couldn't do anything to fuck that one up. Uh, Dennis Seaver, majority decision over BJ Penn. This one was fucking weird because uh, Dennis Seaver clearly dominated two of those rounds. I would say the third round was a 10-8, maybe even a 10-7. Uh, if you're going under the new rules, which uh, oh, I forgot to mention that. I don't think Texas adopted the new unified rules. In which states, and uh, I've covered this on the show before, the new unified rules say that if you shit yourself in the octagon, you lose via TKO. So, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, the referee didn't catch Justine Kish shitting on herself. But I think even if the ref did catch it, 
it wouldn't be a TKO because Texas didn't adopt the new rule set that was passed in January. So uh, under the new rules, uh, I, I feel like that was a 10-7 round for Seaver in the last fight, but definitely a 10-8 uh, under either rule set. And BJ Penn just looked flat, couldn't get any offense going. And, and one judge scored this fight a draw, which, you know, there was that one, there was one, like, asshole judge that, that didn't even belong there. But, uh, you know, in a couple of fights that went to the decision, there was one guy that's like, you know, who fuck invited this guy? Uh, and that's the guy who, who scored a, a draw. I mean, BJ Penn even knew he lost the fight. So I, I don't know what happens here. I mean, it's tough. Uh, you know the guy still wants to fight he's he's a fighter uh and the ufc tried to do him a favor like give dennis siever who who's you know coming to the end of his rope and, and would would stand and bang with bj and uh you know we saw some shining moments from bj penn we saw his patented uh takedown defense siever had a single leg locked up and bj hopped around the cage and and put his back up against the cage and and uh you know that was kind of his signature move like nobody was able to take the guy down and then even if he were he was super dangerous off of his back because of his flexibility so i'd say let's just uh let's just try to forget this one let's try to forget the last one and uh let's let's all agree to remember bj penn for you know the two division champion and legend that he is so i won't even spend any more time on it clay guida coming out of nowhere like a fucking animal against Eric Koch. Uh, you know, Koch, the younger fighter, obviously. Guida, the more experienced fighter. Amazing that this guy still has the pace that he fought at. It was incredible to watch, uh, you know, how relentless he still is. Um, you know, he's, in my opinion, he's always been one of the most exciting fighters just because it's so incredible that he can keep such a pace for three rounds. Uh, and we've seen him do it time and time again with, with some of the you know top fighters of all time. You know His fight with Diego Sanchez is one of the greatest fights ever, I'd say. Uh, so if you're pretty new to MMA, that's, that's a good one to go back and watch if you want to see vintage Clay Guida. Uh, really awesome fight. And uh, you know a lot of people who criticize the wrestling uh, guys who have wrestling strategy, uh, you know, they may be on the Guida bandwagon just because he's so active and he was trying to finish the fight the entire time and he's mounting coach and, and uh, you know, pinning his legs down and, and dropping some crazy ground and pound. It was really, it was really awesome to see uh, Clay Guida come back like that. And, uh, yeah, especially against like a, a young up and coming guy who was like getting in his face at the weigh-ins and everything, and thinking, uh, you know, he's gonna make a name off of himself uh, coming in here, uh, fighting fighting a guy like Clay Guida, and uh, you know the, the the rest of the the prelims were fun. Uh, Daryl Horcher had a split decision over Vitor Miranda. That was another one that was weird. That was the one judge. Uh, you know, Daryl Horcher dominated pretty much the entire fight except for like the end of the third round and one judge was like, Yeah, that's that's enough to win. I guess just wasn't paying attention. Uh Carlos Barza looked really good. Uh you know, I said last week it's a tough test for her. She has a long layoff and she's coming in against uh Marina Moroz, who's super tough. And uh the story of this fight was Carlos Barza's wrestling, which is what got her through the ultimate fighter. Uh she's got a great wrestling pedigree, which you know, not a lot of female fighters can claim. There, there's a small handful of uh, female fighters with wrestling background, and uh, she's definitely one of the better ones. Uh, again, I'm a fan of wrestling. Uh, if you can, if you could take somebody down at will and hold them down, and they can't get back up, then you deserve to win a fight. And if people think that's boring, then you know, fuck those people. Let them try to get up. Uh, you know, from a Carla Esparza. Uh, double leg and then a couple other knockouts on the prelims so uh good times overall uh while i was in orlando i went to disney springs so for those who don't know 
uh, Disney Springs is kind of used to be like the old Disney boardwalk. It used to be like all nightclubs and stuff. Now it's like a big outdoor mall. They got a movie theater and like uh, I think a lot of people go there like when it's a rainy, too rainy day uh, for the parks or, you know, they take a break from going to the theme parks and they go to Disney Springs and, you know, there's a ton of restaurants there. It's, uh, you know, it's built around a lake. So it's nice scenery, kind of nice to walk around. And they have this Irish bar there called uh, Raglan Road. And uh, I'm sure you guys know uh, I always feel at home in an Irish bar. It's like I, I seek them out. So I went there and I tried a new Irish whiskey. Well, it's not a new Irish whiskey. It's just new to me. And it's called Green Spot. So for those of you who are fans of Irish whiskey like uh, Jameson or Tullamore do, you know it's very different from American whiskey, which is aged in wood barrels and usually has very oaky, very smoky flavor to it. Uh, you know, Ireland kind of got away from that for a little while, and they're starting to get back into it. Like Jameson, for example, has their uh, cask mates that's uh, aged in uh, Guinness barrels, I believe. Uh, so it's like, uh, it's a darker whiskey for an Irish whiskey, but, uh, you know, the Irish whiskeys have that more, you know, metallic kind of flavor to it. So the, the green spot was good. Uh, I would equate it to like, you know, Jameson or Tullamore Dew. It's a, it's a good, it's a good way to ease into Irish whiskeys. It has some light, uh, vanilla notes to it. So I was sipping some of that uh neat uh i know you expect me to say on the rocks but you know i do like my whiskey neat with you know a couple of drops of water as i told you guys before uh i just always say mma neat would have been a stupid name for a show so i enjoyed some nice irish whiskey this weekend they had you know they always do like live music it's just one of my favorite places to to check out uh when i'm in the orlando area the uh raglan road bar they always got live Irish music and, you know, the bartenders are always super friendly and, uh, they love talking about whiskey. So we got along just fine. And, uh, the food's really good too. They, uh, they give you a bread, like uh, Irish soda bread when you first sit down at the bar there. And then they give it to you with, uh, like kind of a oil to dip in. It's like olive oil, uh, Guinness reduction. They make like a, almost like a balsamic out of Guinness and uh, they put a little sugar in there and it's really uh it's really unique flavors so you know you have your uh, guinness reduction on your bread and you have a guinness and you have some irish whiskey and you have a good time all right so man what a fucking action-packed weekend of mma action i can't believe i got through this entire episode without my partner jeff the animal wilson we hope to find him back next week if you guys didn't catch episode 54 there was a bonus episode last week i did with uh blake stevenson host of loaded joe's uh mma podcast and also loudmouth boxing podcast so blake is a floyd mayweather expert and you know i asked you guys if you wanted to hear my take on the floyd mayweather conor mcgregor fight or if you were sick of it and a lot of you said you did want to hear my take so i did a separate episode that kind of went over my perspective on this match that takes place in August. So uh, I did that on purpose because if some of you are sick of hearing about Conor and Floyd, I get it. Uh, and I thought, you know, for those people who are sick of hearing about it, maybe I wouldn't have any new perspectives uh, or any opinions you haven't already heard and hasn't already been talked about. So I did it as a separate episode. If you are interested, uh, go back and check that one out. That was episode 54. It's titled Floydian Slip. And, you know, like I said, I'll have a new YouTube video up for you guys this week. That's uh, another cocktail recipe. And, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. So the next big thing is uh, the Ultimate Fighter uh, Season 25 finale. And that's, uh, that's not until July 7th. So we have next week to kind of dive into that one and break that one down and find out who is fighting on it because, you know, I don't look for spoilers on the message boards. I've been following this season. I've been enjoying it. And uh, hopefully you guys have too. All right. So next week should be back regular time on Sunday again. Had to push this one back because we had the Fight Night 112 card. 
on Sunday. So I didn't want to do an episode too late on Sunday, so I had to push it back to Monday. But next week we'll be back on Sunday. Let me know if I missed anything because there was so much going on this weekend. I feel like I could have missed something big. Reach out to me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at MMA on the Rocks, or you go to MMAontherocks.com. Find me that way. If you're listening to the podcast anywhere else, we're on YouTube now. so you can watch on YouTube, and if you subscribe to the channel, they'll send you a notification when we do this thing live. You can hear it unedited, and you can hear, uh, you know, all the horrendous mistakes and and all the politically incorrect statements that I am going to lie and say I edit out of the podcast every week. But I, in actuality, I don't do that much editing. But if for any reason you want to see my face or see Jeff the Animal Wilson's face. While the thing's going on, then do the YouTube thing. Otherwise, we're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. So thanks for tuning in. Till next week, cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>